Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor joins me to discuss a wonderful article written by Andrew Peregrine for the Modiphius blog. The article is entitled Dune Number 10, Walking Without Rhythm, and it was intended to explain to the GM how there's so much going on in Arrakis that there is no need for planet hopping in the Dune RPG. After reading six points, I realized that these points are good for any campaign the GM wants to run. Furthermore, I think that if a campaign feels stale, it is likely that adding these elements to varying degrees might be all that you need to inspire the players and yourself. Hang on tight, people. We cover a lot of ground. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Tim. What's going on, Jeff? Uh, well, I think we're going to talk about using Dune to add spice to your game. Nice play on words. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to work too hard to come up with that. I was going to say, yeah, you didn't have to go too deep for that one. <laughs> uh. So there's an article that was written. It's for a uh, uh, man's name is Andrew Peregrine, who wrote an article called, for those of you um, at home, called uh, Dune Number 10 dash walking without rhythm i'll put the link in the show notes but he gives um different points of of utilizing um dune as far as like you know how to make dune an exciting place or what makes dune an exciting place mm-hmm. and then i as i was reading that <clears throat> i was thinking i think those points that are given um, are all applicable to really any game, but um, not just Dune. I think Dune amplifies certain aspects, but uh, I guess for those that don't know, Tim, can you give like a quick uh, synopsis of Dune? Oh, Dune, let's see. You got your... Uh... Spice, which basically controls the universe that allows people to, oh, what is it? They tra- they get to travel through space without. Yeah, so it's a science fiction setting where there's no computers because yeah. robots took over the world. And so, so the use of drugs, of ingesting drugs, right. a special drug, can allow you to be a computer or to certain people who's been genetically developed to travel through space. Right. I think it turns them kind of alienish, anyways. Too, yeah, like a fish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got your typical anything. Anytime there's a a powerful resource, everybody wants a piece of it, and they kind of use like the old uh, noble houses. You've got barons in it, and they're always battling for power over spice. And and uh, it's really interesting because they got a what's the religion that they have in there? The well, the Bene Gesserits. Bene Jesuits, and then there's uh, they're they're the one they're all female, correct? I yes. Think in the book, and um, they have special powers that they can kind of influence people, and and uh, and uh, then uh, they have they're very prophecy based too. Yeah, there's supposed to be a a, a messiah coming, and right. the whole idea is that they had such control over their bodies they could determine the the sexes of their babies, and so there's a whole breeding program that went on with the different houses. That's right. Yeah. Up until yeah. Jessica, who was in love with the Duke, 
chose to shortchange if she was supposed to have a daughter right. and chose to have a boy instead. Yes. Yeah, it's been a long time since I read the book, but yeah. yeah. But, and then they, they have a lot of intricacies in there. I think Dune is one of those books that's a, it's a, what, a 300 page novel, but it's so much more. I mean, he, I mean, her it was able to fit so many details and nuances into those 300 pages that the, it, you're dealing with a, a planet and politics and you don't get lost in any of it because all of it makes sense and fits together. Right. Yeah. And the thing is you really kind of need to read it twice because it, yes. I don't think it, it, it doesn't slow down for you, but I don't think it's, it's, there's a lot of information, but it's not presented in a bad way, but it's still no. a little bit overwhelming. Well, you need to learn their terms, their lingo too, because there's a lot of, words that are made up for the setting that you have to get accustomed to when you're reading it uh, and that because there's different terms for different things and when you first the book goes along as if you already know it right you know and um yeah you definitely have it helps to have a little dune glossary yeah i think they, they might have had like it in the back of the book mm -hmm. so, yeah i think so too so the the spice which is really the the most important commodity in, in all the universe is only exists on dune which is a desert planet it only can be extracted uh, in the desert parts, which are inhabited by the sandworms, which are really large, and uh, and they're the, the, the you know, find the source of it. And so there's a lot of political intrigue. It's a hazardous planet. There's a group of, of uh, fremen who are separatists, so to speak, living out in the desert. And so there's a lot. Of, there's a lot going on. And so you know, as we kind of go through that, it's like with these points here. Uh, the I'll just say the, the the main points given in this in this article, but wilderness survival, urban survival, political intrigue. Um, it's called Canley, but it's basically assassination. Um, that's part of the society that's um, legalized mysticism and also the unknown. So you may say, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking like a lot of these things. It's like you know what. These, these exist pretty much like we'll just say a fantasy setting or whatever those say well all these elements kind of exist but i don't think they necessarily really do and uh, maybe we can kind of go through it so the the first one is wilderness survival so uh, it says arrakis is a danger is dangerous not for its politics but lethal inhabitants and giant worms it is dangerous just to walk around i think normally for most of the ventures that we have I think that's probably one that most closely fits in that that the wilderness is a dangerous place, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think for, like, before we start this, too, I think what he did good with or did well with this uh, article is he focused it. Because if you try to do a overall spanning of a world, you get lost in too many details and too many you just get stretched out right and this one's focused and i think that's one of the like before you start doing anything i think that's probably the first step you need to take before you can even take these other steps because the the uh, uh you'll be able to explore the nuances of the the uh area that you're exploring because there's some campaigns i've had where it ran for three years and pretty much didn't go out of a 50 mile area and they never knew that, like my players always thought it was this expansive world. But when I showed them all of the, I showed them in the map of my world and I showed them what they explored and they were shocked at how small it was. It was because I was able to focus those details in that smaller area. 
I think one thing too is it seems like with most settings that the danger is in the wilderness. Yeah. But it's, I think a lot of times easy to avoid. Like if you don't go into these woods, as long as you stay along these roads or as long as you don't, you know, whatever there, I don't think we normally see a situation where just, just being outside of a city is in itself a dangerous proposition. Yeah, I guess it depends on your setting. Because uh, I know, like in my Comor Forest, there isn't a lot of because like the, you, there's a lot of points of light setting these days. If you 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 know that term, then Jeff about you know just having civilized points oh, right. just here and there, and so you're you're almost forced to go out and explore because there really is any safe spot except for those like points of light, so to speak. And that's kind of how I run mine. But if you're running like an established campaign, yeah, roads are pretty safe for the most part. But then, you you know, you can always take what's safe and corrupt it a little bit. Yeah, the, the, the roads are patrolled, but, you know, who says the guards aren't corrupt? And, uh, you know, well, hey, you got to pay a toll because, you know, we got to get paid too. And like they, so basically you're getting hustled by the, the, right. <laughs> the guards and, and, you know, who knows, maybe, you know, they, they pissed off enough people, you got bandits. But in general, yeah, at least in the wilderness, you know, as long as you're not going up against some alpha predator kind of thing, you can usually give, bribe someone or, uh, you know, convince someone or, or uh, you know, avoid them because you can, you see them coming and you're able to, like, go, go hide behind a log or whatever it is. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessary to have the, the wilderness be like ultra dangerous, but you know, if you want to crank things up to the next level, any part outside in the desert in Arrakis is dangerous. Yeah. Especially Arrakis. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, you, there's no, there is no points of light there. There's a, it's just a big old desert. And the only, I guess, thing is that, what is it? Uh, what's the, the folks that live in there, the Freeman or Fremen, yeah, Fremen are are hostile to people to begin with too. Yeah. So you, you've got your natural predators, and then you got those who are, you know, um, trying to protect their their planet or their spice or whatnot. And so, you also just have the da- the the desert itself is a danger, right? Yeah, just not having the resources to survive out there. That's kind of <laughs> thing. Like in a lot of games, it's like <clears throat> you go to town. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, maybe maybe the exp- everything's expensive, and the ranger's like, our people say, you know what, eh, I'm just going to sleep outdoors. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go. The sleep rack is no. You are going into town. There's no like, yeah, I'll just hang out. I think in some ways we do have a little bit of danger, but I don't know that we. Uh, a lot of times really crank up the danger. We have the, the, the random encounter tables, right? you know, and roll for random encounters. And we probably even um, a lot of times, you know, you know, as far as with games go, a lot of times we try and keep it somewhat, you know, reasonable to the level of the, of the party. Um, but, you know, like, why not go to like a Jurassic Park level where it's like, no, it's, you you can go out and do stuff, but it's it is very dangerous, and you can't just. It's not that you can't move along there, but you just have to be very careful about what you do. Right. Yeah, I mean, I 
I've, have you ever run a campaign in a desert setting before? No, no. No, I haven't either. I've never done that. I mean, my equivalent, I mean, I think primarily because where I live, I always go to the forest. Right. You know, and that, and, uh, but that's the way my, the one that I usually run is as soon as you leave the civilized area, which is, gets attacked often too from creatures outside, because it's not even that safe, because once in a while there are like, you know, bands of goblins or some giant creature that just comes out of the forest randomly and, you know, kind of Godzilla's the place or whatever and moves on. Um, but anytime you leave there, yeah, you, there's, I mean, even the plant life can, you know, harm <laughs> you in the forest. You know, I have a lot of different types of, of uh, uh, things. The one thing though, like, like the desert, like if you go in the forest, there's a lot of resources there that a human needs to live. Right. Where in the desert, there are none of those usually, right. or, or they're very scarce and difficult to find. And, um, Right, because if you're if you're if you're uh, ornithopter, you're flying vehicle, you drop down somewhere, and also sandworm eats that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, hey, what are you gonna do now? Yeah, because like if a purple worm eats your horse in the forest, <laughs> yeah, like, at least you can you can probably walk home, yeah. you know, or at least get out of there because you can find a stream and you can probably forage some food or shoot a deer on the way there. To do that in Dune, yeah, you're you're just walking with a lot of sand and hopefully when they die, they can find your body. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I was also thinking, you know, there's some settings that maybe would have uh, like extraordinary, maybe threats at night, you know, or something like that. And I think, you know, maybe this situation is things are safe during a certain portion. Right. Then the tension comes. Well, what if you're not into a certain safe spot by that certain time? Yeah. Yeah, that's goes back because when you say that, the, the first thing I think of is the whole I Am Legend thing by Richard Matheson, where, you know, all the zombies or vampires or whatever they're, they're supposed to be, as soon as night hits, you know, the place gets, they swarm everywhere yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and, you're, and yet if you um, are not in your safe spot, you're, you're, you're going to be hurt and you're going to... If, you know, your chances of survival have just decreased a tremendous amount. Yeah. Well, then that becomes an adventure in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I love the time elements in adventures and, and campaigns, like having that. It's like, you know, you're out adventuring. Well, the sun's starting to drop behind the thing and, and it, it started like behind the horizon and, and it just makes the player start reacting quicker or you know start shooting out you know it just makes them you know panic a little bit which i you know love to cause in my players yes exactly yeah and yeah. i think you know there are some you know, again this is not for for all but i mean i think the you know some some campaigns are, are specifically set up that you know that there's incremental danger and that the assumption is near the 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 you know, civilization things are um, are safer. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I think if you want to crank it up, crank up the threat on the outside. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So the yeah. second one is urban survival. Aha! This is this is one of my favorites. <laughs> so, I do like this one. This is the one I think we 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 not you but i mean in general i think it fails the most it says while the desert is deadly the towns aren't too friendly either so rex has its own rules and they're led by the need for water 
So I, to me, it, it you know, we kind of go into – it seems like cities are kind of that spot where everybody just relaxes. And while you may be paying a little bit more for this, a little more for that, I think it's often it, – it's – it really isn't necessarily that dangerous of a place. It's kind of a means for you to go and spend your money or a character spend their money. Yeah. I, I've run entire campaigns where they never left the like city States wall city state of an invincible Lord is one of those ones where I can run a whole campaign and the players never have to leave the, the wall strangely enough in a lot of ways. Uh, I think there, it, in a way, I think, Towns and cities are just as dangerous. It's just harder to tell who the monsters are. Yeah. You know, and I and I think a lot of people have trouble running it because there's so many options. Like when you're going out with a like a dungeon or even a wilderness um, adventure, you're pretty much kind of streamlined to the location. There's you're not going to have a lot of NPCs. You can go any direction you want, but it's, it's the destination that they want to the reach, you know, so you, you can focus your efforts on that. And an urban, urban game, forget about it. You got like, you got hundreds of NPCs roaming around city, you know, buildings here and there, um, trying to account for all the, because, you know, having a party in the, in the city is like having, you know, popcorn on ice because they all go in different directions and you don't know which way they're going to go. Right. And then, so you have to try to uh, cover for that. But I think there's a rich opportunity to really develop a, a, a role playing and um, intrigue between groups and individuals and take all that, you know, some of the other stuff we're going to touch on here, uh, the different factions within in the same group. I mean, say you're in a mages guild, but there might be factions within that mages guild. And you're going to have allies in there. And there's going to be some people that don't like you, and and even though they might not act on you now, right? Just when you think you you know uh, are going to get some help, the wrong guy from the guild shows up or something like that. And uh, like right now, I've been running a campaign with uh, Joe the lawyer, where it's just me and him. And he's we're luckily both like we like detail stuff, and we're kind of exploring some things. But he's basically a tinker digger guy he's in the diggers go he digs ditches and he cleans out the sewers but i use that as an opportunity to get him into tr you know the <laughs> little opportunities to get him and stuff and but, he, but his class is thief and so he's just kind of developed these relationships within the within the city and some of them are just very simple humble relationships like with the lady downstairs with the kids but then he's got some relationships that aren't going so well where he inadvertently uh, ins uh, insulted a mage. So now, you know, just those little things that you can play on, even though the mage is not gonna be like an ogre and just beat him in the head or zap him with magic missiles till he's dead. Somewhere along the way, that may come into play and it doesn't have to be a life and death situation like all the time in like in a dungeon. It just can be, whether it's economical or whether it's, uh, um, reputation wise you know there, there's just there's a lot of different options with urban survival and i think unfortunately that's the one that most people avoid or just uh 
have the most trouble with. To me, as I've been pondering on this, <clears throat> I think this is an area that I've I have failed looking back in why towns are the most uninteresting is because I think I'm looking at it as still through the lens of a white dude living in a small town in the Midwest. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, whether or not, you know, uh, whether this view is correct or not, but the police are my friends, the city government, maybe there's some little bit of corruption here or there in America, but we, we, we acknowledge there's a little bit, maybe there's some corruption here and there. But I don't fear the police. I don't, if I want to leave town, I can leave town. There's nobody stopping me. There's no, I'm not facing any sort of economic threat. I'm not feeling the shakedowns of anything. And I think we kind of take our experiences and, you know, like I've known people who lived in India from India and their corruption is terrible there. Absolutely, you know, terrible. Or if you were to live in, you know, um, you know, pre, um, um, like Iraq, uh, Iraq during Saddam, you mm -hmm. had those three people groups. It's just a, it was a, it was a, a, a powder keg, you know, all these groups just vying for power and terrible things happening in the background and the police just being utterly brutal. And I don't think we look at the government through that lens. And if we did, I think it could make for, it's terrible in reality, but it's more interesting in fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so if you if your government comes and let's say they're they're uh, being obnoxious to your players, whether it's you're playing D and D or Traveler, what are the players going to do? Well, it's that's the toughest one because you're really you got to have players that are not going to just start like well if the guard tells me to go jump you know they have to. Uh, pay a fine or something, they'll just attack them. It, it gotta be, there's got to be sort of that trust there you know, and because you don't want players that just get pissed off. Because right, but I mean, but if, as far as the characters go, if things get hot in a right. town, what do you do? You leave. Sometimes if there's an option to leave. And then, but, but, and then, I mean, but in general, that's what happens like in D&D &D, or let's say travel, you got a spaceship. Well, yeah, but if you think about D&D, &D, you know, there's not that many towns. And if you leave this town, where are you going to buy your next healing potion because the villages don't have any or the yeah hamlets. but you still can leave town oh yeah you can but you're leaving a huge resource then too yeah to and for for that. some cities some places i think it is bad and but it can also but i'm just saying in, in general if I, things are going bad for me right now i can leave I, there's nothing mm -hmm. stopping me but if you're in a spot where in arrakis where are you going to go if you're if you are if you are getting a beat down in one of the major cities, where do you go? Right. You, yeah. you have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happened is a lot of times characters have a lot of choices of just leaving because they're very, you know, their characters are powerful and autonomous. Right. Yeah. And, and the way we like we run the games, a lot of times we almost run each village, each city as an autonomous things in the beginning so whatever it's almost like whatever happened in this city doesn't you know doesn't right. carry over to this village and it makes sense because there wasn't a lot of you know going you know uh probably information being traded those things but you could still have something where like if if, if like the players maybe they do something to one of the village because they maybe somehow the information gets around that these characters are not these players are not uh uh to be trusted, 
And then all of a sudden, when they go to the next village, they're kind of treated with a cold shoulder or. Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about like applying threat, not just a consequences for bad actions. I mean, like you're going to go to jail. And if you're not going to go to jail, they're going to beat you. Then you're going to go to jail. And that's going to happen every week. But you got to figure out how to get out of the cycle. Right. You know, we don't really, we don't, I don't think we fully utilize, you know, that sort of constraint with in our game. I think that would be a hard sell though, too. <laughs> it would be for a lot of D and D people. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, because they're because especially if you're talking about D and D, you know, you're it's definitely a heroic game. With Harn, like if somebody was playing the Harn system, I could see that because it's kind of already built in there. You, you could know? you could still have the heroicism, but the idea is your one of your enemies is maybe is the state or is the police force or right. is maybe uh, the a certain guild and they will make your life now you may have the ability to change things but you don't have the freedom to leave you don't have the freedom to say wait a minute what about my rights you know right. you, you know there's right. no like appealing and i'm not saying that it's used to grind down characters but more of a means of this is a threat and you're going to have to deal with this and you can challenge that they're not used to kind of deal. Yeah. And and if going back to blades in the dark, uh, which now everything to me goes back to blades in the dark is you're stuck in a city. And that's, if you go outside the city, you're, you're crossing through the ghost field and horrible things will happen. So you're stuck in the city. No, I gotcha. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, there's all these factions. Some are friendly, some are not, but everything that happens is in the city. Yeah. Okay. And I and I think, and again, going back, I don't think that every game has to to be to this level. But in another way too, it's like it's just so easy. It's just so easy to just not m- make a lot of threats. And like if you're playing Traveler, you know, if there's too much of a threat on a planet, oh, let's get our spaceship and leave. Okay. Right. <laughs> or I'm a ranger. I really don't care. I'm going forage. We'll just leave. I got the druid and the ranger and the cleric. We, just, we can all just make it on our own. We'll just leave, you know? And and it's, there's so, and I think it, 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 I think it, it, um, I think it takes away a lot of that stress, which I think could make for some very good stories and put pressures in ways that are interesting that, that you can't fix with a sword. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like in in using Dune as an example too. I mean, if you're on Arrakis, that, that's the Dune planet, right? Arrakis yeah. is his name. And you know, you even if you can't really leave the city because that's where the water's at. You know, yeah. And, and there you, might be you, some other towns and posts that you could go, but we'll say there's only a handful, of maybe you know, ten. Or but 20. you got the Judicars everywhere, and you know, coming after you then, and yeah. So because there's you know, you have technology helping you with on that one, but. Again, the spaceship, you couldn't get in a spaceship and just leave because you need the spice guys to take you away. You just yeah, yeah, exactly. And go. So you're kind of like once you're on that planet, you're stuck without these resources and that. Yeah. So, you know, you think about, too, it's like, you know, watching some of these uh, movies uh, like um, uh, what's the one with Chris Helmsworth where he, he ends up uh, was on a rescue mission for this kid. And he, he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, where was he? Where did he get dropped in? It was like a. Not sure. Well, anyway, he's, you know, they, they, there's a group of people and they go rescue this kid. Things go south and he's trying to get out of this country with this kid, you know. Okay. You know, there it's not necessarily everything's hostile, but that whole environment's foreign it, as, right. as far as 
not foreign that way, but foreign to him and having to deal with, you know, the situation he's in. There's no, there's no leaving it. He has to deal with whatever it is that that's in that city. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are great adventures too, doing them that way. You know, it's, especially if you plop somebody down in a region where they can't even understand the, just the basics of communication. Yeah. You know, and then you're, you you can't even ask for things. <laughs> you're, you know, you're you're just this weird stranger guy with a kid running running through their um, streets, and you know, probably I probably got a big weapon with them too on top of it. Yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it would be well, weird, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that would be a uh, if you you could probably do like a nice. Um, adventure out of that a nice lengthy adventure but i don't know if you could like stretch it out to an entire campaign you know kind no of and, and to be fair i i think it depends i mean if you were to do something more like which i've never done but like the the, the city state of the invincible overlord you know mm-hmm. that one is it, it would probably be a much different type of thing than you would do if it was just a we're just gonna play five or six game uh, sessions and see yeah. what happens yeah yeah i mean i i actually one of the things that we did with the players one time, because Rob Conley and I kind of co-DM'd the city-state of the Invincible Overlord, and we kind of took turns, and then we just would take over. But one of the ones we did is we actually would do theme campaigns. And one of the themes for one of the campaigns was have all the players become city guards. So we turned the tables on them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so but, you know, it was a short campaign, but it was really interesting because it allowed us to do this urban survival uh, type of deal within a an organization that was there to protect everybody else, but at the same time they were also ran against those same people that they were protecting, and then there was other odd stuff going on, and it was just interesting to see like uh, how they developed tactics for dealing with adventures that they knew they were overpowered. Because, I mean, how many times have we had in a, you know, you, you run a campaign and, you know, the, the adventures got stopped by city guards. And then, you know, basically in five minutes, the adventures were just counting the city guards silver as they walked away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there wasn't much to it. But this one helped them develop techniques and strategies uh, against adventures. And then the interesting thing that happened was the following campaigns, the adventurers all respected the city guard a whole hell of a lot more. Like if they asked them to do something, they oh, did, right. you know, they just, just because we, we did that, it was kind of a, a interesting side effect from that running that campaign. Yeah. And I think the thing is, especially with D and D because there is that, that power scale, mm-hmm. you know, it tends to make people, I think with characters less, I guess, submissive to the, to authority as it would be yeah. in real life. Yeah. And I, and I, and to be honest, we ran that campaign using GURPS. So it's GURPS is one of the games <laughs> where it doesn't matter how many points you have. It, some noob with can hit you and not, and, you know, right. rock world with a real lucky shot. So that does make a difference to the system you're using too. So the next one that was listed is political intrigue. It says Arrakis is the source of the spice and that makes it valuable beyond compare um, it goes, uh, there is never enough spice to satiate the needs of the Imperium. And so everyone is looking to get more than their fair share of it. Right. Uh, this is before you even consider the usual 
political maneuverings of any uh, noble house looking to advance their holdings and power base. So, you know, it is very obvious, very obvious, I think, that reading Arrakis, is, there's political intrigue. That's, that is the centermost thing that this revolves around. Yeah, they got what three houses? They got uh, they got the what the uh, emperor, and then I, I I'm, it's been so long since I've read them. I can't. I just so remember the, there's the Harkonnens, there's Atreides, and then I can't remember. Atreides, yeah, that's right, House Atreides, and the other one was the, the the weird Baron who floats around. Yeah, the Harkonnen. Harkonnen, yeah, 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 and then and then over everybody was the. Emperors, uh, emperors, yeah, kind of intrigue and and whatnot. Was there was there another one too? I guess. Oh, there's there was multiple houses. I don't know how many of them were in play in the first book, but right? I, and then, I think those were the two main ones. Yes. And then, uh, yeah. So yeah, and it and it just goes to show you don't need a whole bunch of houses to really make it interesting. No. And I, it, this kind of makes me think too. It's like I think as a character, as a player, in campaigns that I've been in, and even I think even as GM, I really don't. I've never cared about the politics in the setting. Oh, really? Because I don't think it ever mattered. Oh, okay. I like. I love throwing it in there. Yeah. I mean, it may not be because of. Uh, I don't know, like, you know, like power standing within a political structure, but it can trickle down and influence certain things, even if it's political intrigue in, uh, you know, I would call it like a guild or something like that, trying right. to vie for it. Say, say you piss off a different guild, well, all of a sudden, all the metal workers or whatever weaponsmiths, they're not going to sell you any more weapons. You know, even though you're not doing it, you've somehow pissed them off. Right. And now, you know, especially if you're like, if you go up to like, the one we were talking about, the urban survival, this, I mean, those two, I think, go hand in hand. I mean, I think if you're going to do an urban survival, you got to survive the politics, you know, like you were yes. saying, you know, you, you have to learn the intricacies of whatever local politics are. And then you have to learn like the individual nuances of each one. I know in the one campaign that I was going through as a, I was played a thief. And what I did is I, even though it wasn't an action based kind of thing, I went around and spied on like some important people in certain political positions and found out what their weaknesses and were and what their, you know, who they relied on, who they trusted. And then I used it against them and tried to manipulate things. So my power base. Kind so, of so let's go back to that. So, so this game you're playing was it a sandbox or was it an actual like published adventure? This is City of City. It's Rob, it's Rob Conley's version of the City State of the Invincible. So basically, but you're playing a sandbox, right? Is that what was yes. going on? Yeah, okay. definitely a sandbox. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, but I if but just go. Let's just go to like published modules. Well, that's tougher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's the, yeah, it's a little bit more difficult. Do you, right? do you ever have been in one that you actually cared? Like when as I'm far doing as published modules, yeah, published modules that you've played in it, and you're like, I really care about what's going on. No, I mean, when you're talking about published modules, it's it's just sort of episodal, so it really doesn't really matter. You're just kind of going through this adventure, and yeah, but it may be a lot of blah blah blah. They'll throw a lot of text, and I'll, I'll read it, but I'm like, nobody cares that King such right. and such well, did this, such and such, and 
because there's no context to it because it's nothing that the players have ever, you know, been in, involved with. And all of a sudden you're doing this big information dump on them. And by then they're getting Cheetos and getting the pop. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, when do we roll for initiative? Let's go. You well, know? I think the other thing is that the information is given, you know, in, in an expositionary format, right. which is a large chunk of text just being downloaded, where it sounds like with your sandbox, it was like, hey, what can I find out? Oh, I find some stuff. Oh, what can I leverage? Yep. You know, it happens organically and you just kind of work your way into it. Yeah. And I and I think that there's a lot of games that that are doing, I think, are much better at that. But it seems like for the longest time, um, it I think politics and factions and uh, is is not really been well implemented, and like even going, even I haven't done a lot of Forgotten Realms. A little bit of the the stuff that they got going there, I don't. It, you know, I get that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think we got the Lost Minds of Fandel where they throw a little bit in there, but I'm mm-hmm. like, it, there's nothing that gave me context of what to even do with this. Right. Okay, you're you're this, you're the fist of this, or you're the this of this, or you're the like so what. Oh, this person such it's like so what? And I guess maybe I need to go read a bunch of books and and figure it out. But there's nothing that's given direction as far as how to handle that or what how it even really matters. But I think with right. the sandbox, I think that's where that you're that's where it works. And I think the with the type of games we're looking at, probably where the politics go is where characters are in a location that's somewhat stationary. They don't they're not wandering from place to place to place you have some central location that you're operating out of. Right. Well, and then, well, just for an example, from my, the game that I run for Comor Forest, there's, there's always, there's, there's a, it's, I should say there's a political stuff going on, but it's sort of always in the background because there's definitely a, to give context for this is like Houndshead is its own independent thing. It was created by this guy who got special permission from the king to establish this to start civilizing this northern region known as the Comor Forest. Well, the baron to the south, Baron Mavre, doesn't like that because he knows how many resources are up there, but he all his attempts always failed. And this guy was able to accomplish what he did. So there's always this rivalry from this, this well-established noble down to the south who, who you know, rules this uh, um, town of Scorn that's not that far away from Houndshead, that's always trying to influence who goes up to Houndshead. They're sending spies up there, sending, you know, what's going on. He sends his guard, you know, how back in the 80s where like the 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 MiGs and the U.S. fighters would fly, pa- they wouldn't fire on each right. other, but they would kind of get real close and get right, you know, dip into the boundaries that they weren't supposed to go in. Well, he sends up his guards and just kind of dips into the territory just to, you know, so there's always that play, whether the players react on it or, you know, get involved with it, it's still happening and it's still there. It plays in the background. And eventually, while it might not have any effect on the game in the beginning, it may down the line and it may directly or indirectly but it's i think it adds a nice depth when you do um add the political intrigue to any type of game it's just it's just fun i i agree and i think it, it gives something that hooks that actually can hook the characters into the setting 
like mm-hmm. that they want to hook into. Yeah. So there's been so um, there's a game called Smallville, and it does uh, characters do relationship maps. Is that like uh, like from the 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 TV show, or is that a- yeah yeah? So okay. the TV show, um, I've not really watched it, but the idea mm-hmm. is it's who's doing what with whom and who likes who and and, okay. and so it's like Sims. <laughs> yeah, but what's it's kind of interesting is you know you can, um, but the idea is for that game is everybody sits down and there's people locations and there's uh, events. And you start working working it out, and I think one way is to, you know, it seems like a lot of times where if you're involved in the politics, it's like, oh, the Duke hires you to do this, but you know, it would be much more interesting, I think, a lot of times to get people or get people hooking quicker is to tie you in very much in with the politics from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe right now uh, you are the son of such and such and your your dad's body lays dead and his assassins are there, you know, whatever it may be. And then you find out there's a house that's after you, whatever it may be. I think there's mm-hmm. an opportunity to tie people in personally into that network of, of webs. Yeah. And even if you don't have to make it that dramatic, but at least say, you know what, your your uncle's in the, you know, the moneylenders guild. Mm-hmm. And say okay, it's, I think so. I think there's opportunities that we I think sometimes miss, is, especially I think adventure writers. You know, I think for us running our own games, it's it's easier to implement that stuff, especially. But I don't know that there's much that's that's. I don't know that much of the stuff is actually um, found in published material, and I don't think much of the stuff is actually integrated into the writing of of games to kind of instruct people. Yeah, and I, I don't know how much you'd want to write that into adventure anyways, because I think my job as a GM is if I'm going to run an adventure written by you, I'm going to read it and then personalize it to my campaign. Right. I'm not going to use probably any of your political stuff unless there's bits and pieces I might take it and like, oh, I'll like that, but I'll kind of make it my own. And because if you're just going to run an adventure on its own and it's just going to be episodal, then yeah, you're not going to get too much involved in that. It's it's not going to happen. Well, I think much. it depends whether your situation may be is I want to take something and play it right in my world mm-hmm. versus taking something and running it as it is. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I'm more of a campaign person than I am a... Right. Uh, but the, the adventure could mm-hmm. still have like, here's here's 10 hooks. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Or yeah, 10 relationships that may mm-hmm. work out. So if you do these, these are good relationships. And also have like, um, you know, even going with um, Blades in the Dark, your crew starts out with um, a good relationship and a bad relationship. Okay. So one faction you're in you're good shape with, another faction you're in bad shape with, and another faction you're in their territory and you have to pay the money. Gotcha. And okay, yeah, that, I mean, that, and I... Th- I think that's helpful because I think there you have defined things right there. One yeah. you like, one you don't. And I think you have to keep it that simple if you're going to do that. If you just keep it really basic and don't try to, you know, like you were talking about before, trying to do all this exposition dump in the beginning because nobody's nobody hears it after. Because <laughs> I remember those old TSR modules, you know, they've got, they use a four font and it's like three pages of that, you know, there's like 10,000 words in three pages and it's all you know, box text that you yeah. have to read to the players before you even start the adventure. And that, They're yeah, still that, doing it. 
I was playing um, the Lost uh, the Ten of Avernus, and they're still just dumping stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like I, I know, I know, okay. I, 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 you know, but the thing about those adventures is while like I would never run them as is because they're just too bloated. Uh, they could all those adventures could probably re, be refined down into like a dozen or maybe a half two two dozen pages maybe. And uh, you know, I think you were talking about like the like a plot line or something. Yeah. Like that. And you could probably run the adventure much easier and much better using a plot line than you could just reading the entire book. Yeah. Kind of deal. And I think that's the way you run uh, like pre-made adventure canned adventures. The simpler, the better it is for so folks, because you can really. Every time I, I I write my micro adventures, and then when I run them for folks, it's funny how much I can milk out of a micro adventure. Even I think it's going to be a two-hour adventure, how much gets added to it with me just because I never run my own adventures the way I wrote them because I kind of adapted to the situation that the players in or or who's at the table, and how much you can get out of a small adventure and and that could last for you know different sessions and whatnot. So the yeah. easier the better, I think. And I think right. So it comes. There's there's two aspects. So you have the GM aspect. You also have the player aspect. So the GM aspect. Yeah. You also have. You've got your already established role, but you've also have the politics already kind of defined. Yeah. And then you have maybe people that maybe are just wanting to run it as is, and and also you got sometimes you have players that that want to push those that are interested in those those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's you just got to read the table and see hope you know, and run with whatever crew you got. Yeah, you, know, you know, hopefully they're somewhat aligned. But if you got like half of them that are just adventure hounds and want to just murder hobo stuff, and then you've got your other half that are into the nuances and then the the, the intricacies of your world and want to you know find out like the color of the queen's dress or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's something that. Uh, you just as a GM, you gotta kind of find your rhythm. And with those canned adventures, it's kind of the same way. How much of that detail are you gonna take with you for the adventure? Yeah, and I so I kind of circle around. I still think that, you know, in general, that's where published adventures fail. And I think that if you want to add spice to your game, I think or anybody's game, it's just like I think adding political intrigue in a way that's organic, mm -hmm. in a way that actually just matters to the characters. Yeah. Absolutely. And that right there, the, at the that last sentence, it matters to the characters. Yeah. yeah that's, that makes such a huge difference. And you could even say, hey, the such and such is just murdered. The prince's son has been murdered. Why do you care? Right. Let them come up with why they care. Yeah. You know, I care because I served under him during the wars of Helendor and, you know, I fought by his side and, you know, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. you know, at least you've, creating a hook for for characters for the setting and for the politics and it does definitely i i think adds a whole lot more uh color to a game that if you let it all it's going to turn into is just uh, a point crawl and hacking and slashing and right. getting gold yeah. and that's where you want to play that's fine but i mean if you're looking for more a little pol political entry can can actually uh, go a long ways absolutely yeah i agree so the next one is canley uh, the assassination of vendetta. So, what are your thoughts on assassinations and vendettas? Uh, they're interesting. <laughs> I, 
I mean, I don't know. I can't say if I've ever. I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've ever used like an assassination plot point. Never or, have. I never have. Um, vendettas. Yeah. I mean, that's. I've definitely, I've definitely used that where there's where, you know, player has slighted somebody and then, you know, they're coming after him in different ways or whatever. Uh, but assassination, I think that's a little bit too. It's it's an interesting, I guess, um, like you're saying, like a plot hook towards yeah. something. Um, but to use an assassination attempt on a player, I think I would just use it more as a dramatic effect than oh, actual. Yeah, I don't think I would ever. No, that would be right. You could either have a failed assassination attempt. Well, you know, I, I should I take that back because it was like. It was it was actually last campaign. One of the characters almost got assassinated by an alewife. And the reason why what happened is these guys, and again, were within context, they had no idea. They went to this farmstead. And I don't know what happened. They were a pretty reasonable group. And I guess they had like a bad supper that night, but they went and murder hoboed like these this family. I mean, just out of the, I mean, and they were unarmed and I don't, I just, the, the, the family just wasn't uh, taking any of their adventure chest thumping, you know, they're like, no, you know, screw you. We're not doing that. And they killed him. Well, this lady was related to that family. So when they, when she found out that they came to her village, she's poisoned their ale. She tried <laughs> to kill them off. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I did use that at one point. Yeah. So. I yeah, I think that the idea with assassination and vendettas, is, especially assassination, is it's if you think about assassinations in, in real life, right? Especially with political figures, or you know, even not assassination, but let's just say the let's say let's just say, for instance, just not to go political or recent, but with the uh, with the storming of the Capitol, what if right. they you know captured? Um, members of Congress and things. I mean, our country would have just like it, it, it flipped. It would have flipped the tables. I mean, I think assassinations in a game can be done to narratively flip the table. Like, okay, this is we don't. This is who knows what's going to happen, but it, the the status quo is broken, and yeah. it's martial law, or it could be you're with a certain group, and now you're going to be vilified, right? You know, or yeah. could could be the city where all of a sudden, hey, maybe you're a group of outsiders, but an outsider killed a certain person, and now you're seen as a threat. And now they're looking <laughs> for you because you just yeah. happen to look like them, or yep. whatever Guilty it may be. By location, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and I and I think if you use an assassination as a plot point for like something like that, I think it's one of those ones that you would definitely want to build up to. You wouldn't, I don't think you'd want to do it right away because again, I'm all about having the, the event happen in some sort of context that the players are involved in. So if the players are maybe in this town and they're invested in it and say an important person gets assassinated, all of a sudden those players are going to be more invested. And, and the other thing that could be make it, more interesting is using your thing. Well, they're outsiders. So now people are looking at them. Hey, wait a minute. You know, even though they may have been friends with this guy, you're still the strangers yeah. in town. You know, he was fine until you got here. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, but yet they're they're trying to find out who really assassinated him. I mean, you know, 
start turning into a Hitchcock film at that point. But I mean, I, I you know, that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. So there's the, the I mentioned before um, in another podcast, but there's a, a venture or a, a mystery game called Brindlewood Bay. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that the you you go in. There's no there's a mystery. There's clues and there's suspects, but there's absolutely there's a crime that's happened and there's a mystery that's happening, but it's not been predetermined. And it's it's but one of the things the GM can do along the way is just you just kill an NPC, right? And it just freaks people out. I mean, it, it, it its only purpose is to create a you know a a unbalancing of the to the to the players, right? You know, I, they don't see that coming. All of a sudden, this person's dead in your room, you know, and the throat's been cut. Like, what? <laughs> it's like. <laughs> yeah. And maybe yeah. you don't even know why it happened. You just throw that in there. Right. You know, yeah. like, I don't know why they did. I'm going to figure it out as we play because I don't know. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that sounds like a lot of fun trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I think there are, there are different opportunities. And vendettas is another thing. Uh, I yeah. think. Going back to um, so what they have in Blades in the Dark is, and also with some things, is called uh, you have what's called rivals, friends and rivals. Sure. But if you think about having a group of people that you cannot, uh, you cannot deal with them in a physically direct way, mm-hmm. but they're still a thorn in your side. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's another way of, of doing this. And maybe, you know, it, it's not a vendetta, but, but with Blades in the Dark, you know, the thorn in your side could actually just be a family matter that just causing you problems, you know. Maybe yeah. they're always needing money or they're always in trouble. But but the idea of vendettas here is I think the idea is that, you know, you could have another group or another person that just – that is working directly opposing you or the, the mm-hmm. characters – and the players or the characters must deal with it, but they can't do it through direct violence. Yeah. No, that's a fun one. Like, uh, again, I'll use the example of Joe's campaign I'm running with or, or that I'm running him through. Part of his thing is being a tinker. He collects scrap. He goes through town and he has these different locations and he picks up scrap. And we kind of have this little, little mini game with the scrap on what he gets and how what he can make with it and different things. But there's this other what a gang out there, but I'm using the term gang loosely. It's just like a, a bunch of guys who they're called the vultures who scavenge stuff too. So they're kind of scrappers too. So he's always in competition with right. him trying to get the spots. Yeah. And a lot of times he doesn't, you know, sometimes he doesn't get to the good spots before they do because he has a he has a full time job and some of these scrappers are are full time scrappers so they can be there longer so it kind of pisses them off but he can't you know you can't just like go murder hobo in the middle no. of town because in scorn you know I, there's the you'll go to jail you'll I have, there's a court system you know he's in the guild so he has a lawyer and a whole bit and everything but you know he in the, but he's also not in any physical position to take these guys on because they're kind of bigger but they've never made any threat to him, but they always take get there before he does. So right. it's kind of they're not a physical vendetta. threat, but they are like an economic threat. Right. Yeah. And it makes it a foot. I, I mean, I love those kind of things where it's just not like, you know, two two groups thumping chests at one another. You 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 know, there's just this goofy little thing that you would never think about that they get pissed off at each other. <laughs> yeah, and it, we I mean you see that in movies, right? Because like uh yeah. I hate the way it ended, but like in Twister, they had the, you know, the evil, the people doing it for profit and the people right. doing it for, for 
<laughs> because they're they were nice people, right? You know, and they were they're competing the whole time, and uh, or even Indiana Jones or something where you may have a, a, a rival archaeologist. You know, right, yeah. You're not going to shoot him. There's no reason to, that you have to shoot this guy, but no. but yet he's complicating your life. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I think those are the best, you know, vendettas in a way. It's just, you know, adding that extra complication in the character's life that they have to deal with. And uh, hopefully, you know, they become fun and, and interesting and everything. And then, like, because I know Joe spent like a whole night one night, he was texting me all the stuff that he was going to do to this guy who keeps taking his scrap. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just, it was just you, you know, as a GM, you won. You know that the, the moment that they are thinking about the game outside of the hours that you're playing. Yeah. That, I mean, to me, that's, I, that is to me the, the best feeling that people it are is. talking it's, about later. It's a lot of fun. Um, in a campaign where I ran with, this was an interesting one because you, you've got the party and they were very, I think they were first or second level. They were very low level. And they encountered this warg with these giant pack of wolves and this warg, you know, and the warg just basically made them bow down to them and just really humiliated them because the warg knew, you know, I could wipe out all you guys and they knew it too. And they did not, you know, so they, and for the entire rest of the campaign, all they did was talk about going back and killing that war. They just wanted because because they, they just hated what happened to them. But the funny thing is, when they had their chance, they didn't do it. They never went back and killed them, and that because there was too many other important things going on at the time right. to deal with that. It's, it was like their opportunity to kill them had passed, and now what they were doing now was more important than just killing a war. So it was it was an interesting transition because that was like their number one hated uh, enemy for the longest time. Yeah, I find ethics. I mean, if you if you try and look at what triggers a a group to to uh, um, resort to uh, killing a creature or a person, like the logic, it's it's sometimes astounding and confusing. Like <laughs> like. Uh, now you're wanting to kill him because of this, but before you weren't because that was okay. It's like, like right. I don't understand your moral compass. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Who gets your mercy today and who gets the sword? Yeah, the it's like they did yeah. all these terrible things. That's okay. Well, they just lied to me. Well, they got to die. It's like, well, wait a minute. It's like, oh, yeah. Gosh. Like, wait, wait. Well, they got so mad at my healing potions guy in there too because I – uh, I have this guy named Hugh, he, uh, Hugo's Healing Potions, and he's he sells potions, and everybody knows that they're not always good. It's one of those things. So they're really cheap, though. You can buy a bunch of them, but there's a one in six chance that they may not work. Yeah. So, like, I can't remember which one. They had, like, two or three go bad on them. And so then they were just like, I'm going to go back and kick Hugo's butt. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to you know, it's just funny how, like, you know, well, just what random things will get them into yeah. murder hobo rage. <laughs> yeah, it says right on the package, there's no implied warranty. Right, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, basically no guarantees <laughs> and no returns. Mm -hmm. So the uh, second to last is uh, mysticism. Ah, I love that one. 
I think I think the this is to me uh, the number one failing of most RPGs, fantasy RPGs, in that magic is just really is another form of dealing damage or doing I some agree. sort of effect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I guess when I think of mysticism, I think more of like the religious aspects yeah. of it, though, too. Um, right. But again, you're following into like if you're if we're talking about D and D and a lot of the 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 stuff uses it. I mean, you just you kind of use that Vancian magic system, and it's just a very unimaginative and an uninspiring system. You know, it's just a list of spells that do this or do that, and there's no yeah. It's made for a war game. Yeah, it's it's I've never I've never liked it. I mean, I I work with what it is, but. But I have more fun with the clerical magic in my in my games. Um, instead of just doing give cleric spells, what I kind of do is you know how they have that turn ability, yeah, type thing. I call it a divine act. So depending on what level you are, you can do a divine act. So if you're a second level, you can do two or three or something. This it's that's the only thing I kind of quantify. But the divine act is not quantifiable. There's no, I don't tell you what you can do and what can't do. But the only thing that sort of dictates the parameters is the the god that you're worshiping. If you've got a war god and you're trying to heal somebody or something like that, no, 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 it's not going to happen. But if you want your say your divine act as you as you stab this troll, your tip of your spear is going to catch on fire. You can do that. You know, you still have to do the rolls and everything. Just to make sure you're still in divine favor you know use some sort of mechanic through right but but it relies more on the belief system the aspect of the god and the imagination of the player right no i think it's a much it's a much more interesting better way of, of handling it because it seems like because mysticism i don't know i'm I, I didn't look up the etymology but i'm i'm sure that it, it's also tied with mystery Right, yeah. and the mysteries, and there's probably kind of dealing with, you know, the cults and 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 whatnot. But I think, you know, clerics have have uh, they're just still magic users in in generally the way they're written, and and especially in the way that they're played. Yeah, because you know, I don't know anybody plays it where you know what are what does it mean to be a cleric of such and such or a cleric of, you know, whatever. Right. And also, it also seems to there never seems to be any sort of uh, hierarchy that you're um, subject to. Oh, like when you're a cleric, you don't have like someone you answer to. Yeah. Or... It's like, what are you doing? Just walking around doing stuff. Like, it's like... And, and again, that's it, it's something that's not written anywhere, but it's something I do myself as a player. Because I mean, I think a lot of these RPGs, they're you've got to do a lot of work for yourself if you really want to make it work. I mean, there's no, there's never going to be a perfect system or because there's always going to be flaws, even in what stuff you do. All you can do is try to make it the best fit for your game that you can do. Um, and the thing is those, you have to have the players buy into that too, or they're going to, well, I want my cure light spell first level. And if they want to do that, uh, okay. You know, I'm not going to fight them on it, but it's like, well, you know, let's try out this way because, but it makes it much uh, less interesting. It it, it can it, does. It, it can be maybe that's what they want. But I mean, it, and and this is not necessarily true for every table. But I think, 
you know, the idea is that magic can be, it's so common and it's so, uh, it loses its mystery. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a shame. <laughs> that's a crying shame when your magic loses its mystery. Cause that's just, uh, yeah, it, it just becomes a industrialized product at that time point, you know? Yeah. You know, you just have it up. You know, I mean, I can crank out this much this day and that's all I can do. Well, next day I can do it again and just becomes sort of an assembly line. Yeah. And I don't know there's been much in the way. I mean, as players, they can. But I mean, I don't know if there's really been a much in the way of if you if you are a cleric of a certain deity and that deity exists, why is what are the requirements to be in that faith? Right. And there should be something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's something, you know, it's something I develop in my, I try to develop that in my game too. You know, yeah. if you're a God of war, you can't, or, or because I have a healing God goddess in there. And if you're, you're going around and like kicking the shit out of people, that's, that's not going to jive with your, you know, the aspect of your goddess, you're going to start those divine acts are not going to work anymore because you're not acting within her structure, her belief system. But again, it's one of those things where, I think one of the things that's helpful in that aspect as you're talking about is when you when you have your pantheon or whatever you're going to use in a game is you have at least like three to five tenets or pillars if you want to call them of your faith and just have them in simple sentences you know like the you know christians got their ten commandments right um, um the uh, islam has their pillars of i think it's five pillars and and whatnot and then so you have those things that hold up those those uh, beliefs that hold up your beliefs in that or in that, that God's structure, and if you do that for each one of your your gods, like I said, three to five sentences of these beliefs, and if you start failing on them, then that you're going to start losing stuff or be warned, or you're depending on if you have a very temperamental God, you, <laughs> it might just cut you off, right? You know, no, you're done. I, I'm not dealing with you. Hopefully that comes out in role-playing and it, you know, it, it, it adds to interesting role-playing opportunities. And um, yeah, uh, I think what happens is, is I'm terrible about, I never, as far as the deities and whenever I don't really run deity a lot, but I even want to have, I've not done a whole lot of, you know, maybe I made people pick, but I, I've never, I don't know, anybody really cared, you know, that, sure. you know, everybody just, well, I'll just pick whoever. And I have not been necessarily good at enforcing that. But I think what happens, most people pick clerics because they just want to be the the person that does the, the assisting, the aiding. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and be able right. to do combat. Mm hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think for uh, if you're going to run an ongoing campaign, um, it just, I don't know, it gets boring because I mean, it just never made sense to me if, if you're a war god cleric or a healing cleric, you're still picking from the same spells. Yeah, I think the other thing too is, you know, we also come to, I think because of where we're at, we kind of view religion as in a monotheistic way, mm -hmm. but they were, they, uh, most of those people in that day, they, they believed in many gods and it wasn't just, they'd pay service to such and such. And maybe during right. certain types of things, they would, they would give offerings to this or during it, they'd celebrate certain offerings for another God. I mean, there was right. no sort of, and I think they would, they would appeal to different, to a particular God for a particular reason. 
and but that wasn't considered a problem. And right. even with like the Romans, they they would they would in, they would bring other gods from the conquered lands and then bring them in, and they became just part of this whole happy family. You still had to right, right, you still yeah. had to still pay tribute to to Caesar and acknowledge him. But I mean, but but there was there was no. They weren't judging as far as as far as these are not true gods. So I mean, so there was no problem with you worshipped other gods, right? Because even with the with the Christians, the problem wasn't wasn't that they believed in uh, one god. The problem they was they wouldn't give obeisance to Caesar or right. acknowledge other gods, and that for, therefore they considered them, I think, to be um, what's it really for? Um, uh, un, they, they didn't have the loyalty. There was that's what the loyalty if you can. You know, demand fealty, right? So, I think you know. So you know, and I don't know how you would do this, but I mean, but you know, maybe that should, maybe there could be a mechanical thing, like you know, you go into town and you know, do you give alms to the temple or not give alms to the temple? And if you right. do, I'll roll one d six. If you get a six, you know, maybe you get a you know a reroll sometime during the game. I mean, there may be ways mm -hmm. you could do it, but maybe then it, that comes too mechanical. I don't know. Like uh, Pendragon has the dot system. I don't know if you have you ever seen a, the pen dot character. No, I, I'd like to play it someday, but I've never. Yeah, never... me too. I've never played Pendragon, but I have a lot of the books because I just love them. But they just they have a I, I I don't remember what it's called, but like a trait tracker or something like that. You've got pious and yeah. unpious. And so if you do something, you get a dot on that. So you're further along the pious track. But if you don't do something, you start losing dots or you start going into the unpious category. I guess you could do a simple mechanic like that. If you, oh, yeah, because you, you wouldn't know. even need to be a cleric for that. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't need to be a cleric for any. Yeah. You could do it for uh, everybody, actually. Yeah. So you could, as you gain in piety... Maybe you know going back to like, uh, but maybe that piety would gain you benefit with a particular uh, religion, absolutely. Church. Yeah, if you walk into a church and you're so, kind of known for your acts of kindness or whatever, you're you're uh, you gain a benefit, or maybe I mean it could be just as simple as they'll allow you to stay and have a meal. Yeah, you know, just something very simple as that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see that being a I mean, you're adding another aspect to like a character sheet in a way. Yeah, yeah which, but you're also you're throwing in pot hooks. You say, you know what? I want to, I want to increase my piety. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I love stuff like that. So I'm, I'm into the, the small details and, and doing that. And I, and I didn't think about that till now because I'm like, yeah, that's not actually a bad <laughs> idea. I don't want to, you know. Well, because you, if you think about, uh, there's another game I'm thinking about. It's, uh, I think it's Forbidden Lands, where you, and a lot of these will do this, is you can grow in your um, prestige. Okay. But, but, but think about it. It's like you could have political prestige. You could have, you know, a prestige of a faith. Right. And yeah, it's maybe, almost like the reputation. Oh yeah, that's what it was. It wasn't prestigious reputation. Yeah, yeah, because you just have a. Because if you just have a generic reputation, I don't think that works. No, but you, you could know, have a, a, you have a to be very specific. Yeah, uh, and so you could even have maybe things that would be antithetical, maybe a reputation with the with a negative side too. So. Absolutely, yeah. Because if you have a high reputation with this one group and this group doesn't like you. Or doesn't like that group, then automatically you're going to have a negative reaction in that other group. 
Yeah, I I think I think no, I think that was the best way of doing it because that way it'd be voluntary. You wouldn't necessarily have to make it uh, a strictly mechanic. You could just kind of do it on the fly. What's that? Like, for instance, like, uh, let's say, let's say, let's say, uh, let's say your prestige goes from, let's say, one to five or one to six. Okay. And let's say, just make up this rule as I go. Yeah, sure. And let's say you want to make an appeal and maybe roll a six sider. Mm-hmm. And then if it comes up, uh, you know, uh, that number or less, then you succeeded. And depending on your level of prestige, that's the type of thing you could ask for. So maybe a, a first level of, or not prestige, but of reputation, maybe a first level mm-hmm. of pious reputation, you roll it, you know, they will they will give you some provisions. You know? yeah. A second level, maybe they'll, they will actually let you into the keep and they will also, you know, maybe heal the party or whatever it may be. And maybe you don't have to predetermine it ahead of time, but you can kind of in your mind saying, you know what, you know, as your reputation grows, and if they know of you, uh, then you reward accordingly. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic way of doing it. It's, it's simple and easy to do, and it gives the players a chance to succeed and also to fail. I always like that part. <laughs> and then you could also tie it with your. We can go back to your the political factions too. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. if you're helping out the the prince, you get you know for the house of Gryffindor or whatever the whichever house it is. Yeah, absolutely. And then and I suppose you could lose reputation. I think as you would gain in that, then then that would be incentive for for characters to even during an adventure to find ways. And I think even going back to like historical like. You know, with the Roman Catholics, I mean, they would go on, you know, different missions to get oh, this or that, or you could tie that sort of thing in as well. You know, like mm-hmm. you may get yeah. a vision quest, you know, to go do something. Yeah, find the the bones of Saint Philip and bring him back to the Queen or something. Like oh that. yeah, and and also maybe if you really mess up, you could you could do stuff like uh, do you ever see the mission? With uh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. your armor. You're a cleric. You've messed up. All yeah. that plate mail you're wearing while you're dragging it. Now you gotta carry it with you up and down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then to get it restored back up or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. You just have to have the players that just think that's cool too. That's the only thing. <laughs> and, and I come up with all these great ideas, but you still gotta have the players that agree to. And I, and I have to say, like the group that I have. They'll give me shit about everything, but they'll do it. They like doing it, and every you know they'll 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 kind of like you know I, I they have to give me grief or I don't think they're involved. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. but in general, I, I've got a gr- you know group that'll that'll kind of try out some of the stuff because sometimes I say, hey guys, I want to try this out. Let me know what you think. Make suggestions what you have, and we'll and if we, if it's if it's not working out, we'll get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, right i think it's having trust mm-hmm. so i think and i think also players are willing to uh to push the characters and also have trust i think that's you're in a great spot when you have those two things absolutely yeah yeah i mean because i'm kind of a similar situation where um so all my f- players are not afraid to they won't necessarily do stupid things but they they're not <laughs> afraid to just push things in weird directions yeah you know and to see how it, how, how it comes out yeah that's cool it's fun it's, it's good when they do that i mean um i know i like it when my players do that 
I'd much rather them because I like to be as surprised as they are when I'm doing stuff. You know, sometimes, you know, they'll do stuff and I'm like, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. That's really cool. Yeah. And the thing is, it, 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 and I've kind of learned, too, that if if their idea is interesting, there's always a chance it'll work. And if it's just crazy and interesting, I mean, I really want to see it, but we'll put it on the line and say, okay, you rolled yeah. this. Everything goes south. Your soul gets sucked out of your body, and you get put in an automation. <laughs> right. If you win, you beat. We win this battle. Uh, you take her out, then you get the amulet. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're you're gonna roll right now, but we really know right now that there's there's a six and eight chance that you're gonna fail, and you're gonna have right. your soul sucked. But they're like, okay, let's do it. Okay. I, you know? I still say, you know, you know, while successes are fun. Uh, you know, failures are a blast. Well, especially <laughs> when it's really tight and it's on the edge and somebody's yeah. throwing the dice and everybody's looking. Right. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> that's so much fun when they're just like all tense. And they're like, they're, I, I like, I was watching this one um, video and I thought it was really fun because they, they rolled the normal dice, you know, when they're doing this. But when it comes to a tense moment like that, they have one of those pillow D20s and then they have to roll that one. So this is a, it's like a big dramatic effect. And I just love that. Yeah. So they're, it's like rolling on the floor and they're like watching to see that. That was so, it was so much fun. Yeah. I thought that was a good uh, dramatic uh, uh, effect for the game. Well, the, the last one is uh, the unknown. Uh, mm. the, Dune is a place of mysteries. I think it, so desert holds secrets from the culture of the Fremen to the origin of spice. Um, I think that's probably one aspect that I think that is probably not a problem most games. Or do you think that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think the problem with the with this one is is uh, the pacing of the unknown and the reveals and and that is because it seems like. Um, especially in canned adventures, I guess, but I, I guess they do have to do the reveal by the end, but it's sometimes you want it to last a little while just to, you know, you get hints at it. Uh, one of the, yeah, the, I think the, what you're the, saying is you need to establish a mystery. Yeah. You have to establish it first. So when you make the reveal, it's significant. It may be more of a mystery than, Hey, there's this tomb. We, we, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but it's like, you kind of want to maybe have like what's behind this or what's behind that, or right. how do we find the secret? Or I think it's kind of hard. I, I think sometimes we don't want that, but I think the idea of adding mysteries, I think it's, it might be kind of hard. I don't know. It, well, the, you the, know, the, the, the players would care about. Well, again, it's, it's taking that time and you know, I keep saying this word a hundred times, but having that context with the mystery and have they, has somebody hinted at it beforehand and, you know, what I like to do, especially for the unknown stuff, is is trickle in maybe bits of information while they're actually focused on something else. So the adventurers find a hole in the ground because adventurers loves holes in the ground and they go, they're going to go in. But while they're at the bar finding out information, you know, they might hear some fishermen talk about, 
man, the waves were really rough, more normal than nor lately, you know, da, 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 da. the next time they go in there, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Jimmy never, never came back from his fishing thing. And then by the fourth session, you got Cthulhu coming out and eating everybody or something like that. You know, just, just <laughs> right, you some subtle hint. You had all the warnings. Why didn't you leave town? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Just some subtle things to just have it, like, lay it out there. So then when it becomes more, you know, Babylon 5, I thought, did a great job when they revealed the shadow. And during that season, they kind of hinted at it, hinted at it, and then they had the reveal. And it, I, and I, and personally, I thought it was a lot of, it was a fun reveal. And I thought they did a, a great job with it because they hinted at it throughout the time. And then they did the reveal and it was, it was like, oh, that's, that's cool. You know, uh, and I, I'm, I'm rewatching Babylon 5. So that's, so it's on my, <laughs> yeah, I've never watched it. So, I, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. For some so reason, it was this alien race that, that, people had heard about but no one's ever or hasn't encountered except the one race they talked about and then they found out that they the, like these the uh humans were digging up this site they didn't know what it was well then it ended up being one of these shadow ships and and you just get glimpses of it but it's, it's just a really cool reveal so this chaos force in the universe now has been unleashed and those in the form of an egg and out pops jonathan winters <laughs> that's right wow. yeah yeah oh gosh what yeah. have we done we have, have done yes <laughs> can that's we put great. them back in the egg <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean the mysteries is one of those things i think it's a, it's a lot about pacing and and uh doing those yeah, I think you're right, because I think also, you know, kind of going back, it's like, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to hear, like, when you do when, when you do a mystery, an actual mystery game, I mean, it's interesting to see how people speculate in the fun yes. that they have. But, you know, going back to what I said before, you could just throw in some just some just crazy things and oh, uh, yeah. and say, you know, on occasion, this happens, this happens, this happens. And and then you know then maybe partway through figure out try and do I guess a like a I guess well they did do well with Lost or Battlestar Galactica but maybe tie it in at the end somehow you know right well yeah like uh, there's the, have you ever played in the Gumshoe system yeah no much okay so for what I the philosophy I like about the Gumshoe system is it's not that you find the clues because you do find the clues right it's just what how you interpret them. And that, and I think that's such a fantastic philosophy because you never run into that bottleneck of someone not of not finding a clue, and then the the mystery just sort of comes to a halt, and you know you're just sort of like, okay, they didn't find this. <laughs> that that I can't tell you how many times it's happened at a convention game. Well, yeah, because were you were you were they running a a, a module? Well, they were running a module, but they were also running like. I think it was either third edition or a skill required thing. And they're so reliant on looking at the character sheets for stuff to happen that they just don't think sometimes it can just happen. Like the one guy made us all roll perception rolls for blood splattered all over the wall. <laughs> I was distracted. I, I thought it was jelly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I was looking at my watch. I was, watching youtube what was, yeah, what was your yeah, character it, doing how did you right. miss that and it was it was just and it was funny because we we all failed horribly and he didn't know what to do right 
you but, know, he kind of got stuck because he relied too much on that. Where I think with the mechanic of and having the the philosophy of you know not relying on the character sheet for everything, but okay, you see the blood and you see you know the the, the victim and maybe a couple other interesting clues. Go and you don't offer any solutions or any things. You just let the characters talk and you're going to get way more better stuff than anything you ever planned out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I agree. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, you don't have to go through elaborate things to, I think, to, to hook the interest of players. No, no, they get distracted. Yeah. Easily. (laughs) Oh no. What have I done? (laughs) Yes, exactly. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you just put out some, cause like mysteries, you don't have to make them complicated. In fact, I think you, it's a detriment if you, if you make them compliment, uh, complicated. Yeah. And I think, uh, and, and maybe you don't even have to actually uh, have a solution. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there might not, there might be an answer that asks more questions. Well, cause I, you know, thinking about it, it's like, um, so watching the first three Star Wars movies, the episodes four through six, Okay. Uh, it was a thing, right? It was kind of its thing. And then yeah. when they came out th- one through three, right? it's like they had to answer every single thing. And, and it had had the origin of every single thing, of every single person. And then it had to come and lock in tight with, you know, episode four. So, you know, it's like they wind up on the ship and the Oregonas and da-da-da-da-da. It's like... I don't need to know all this. I didn't, we didn't even need to put C3PO, R2D2. You didn't have to make every single thing. And there could have been mysteries left that were never solved. That's like, okay, right. I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very forced. They were, you know, they were trying to, like you said, puzzle piece it right next to the other three movies. And I mean, there, there were so many things that that series suffered <laughs> from, but again, you're going and, and, and then for, you know, it, it was a victim of its own success at the same time. You know, you just, you're not, you're never going to be able to duplicate those three movies. You know, you're not, I mean, as far, I don't think you, anybody's ever going to, because when, when it's new, you had no expectations. Well, I think, right. I think that's part of it. And part of it too is the, the first, I mean, the first, especially the first one was definitely a very, very pulp um mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the feel is very light and very pulpy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then it got a little darker, and then yeah. the first, then episodes one through three became a political message, you know, for right or for wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. then the last three, I don't know what they were. <laughs> uh, it was it was content, you know. Let's let's just face it; they're you know money makers and. That, that, that's the that's the problem is yeah. you know because the first Star Wars I mean it was it was it was um, n- nobody had really high expectations he kind of was doing right. all these crazy things he had people who were I think the best thing that happened with that first movie is that I think the director and and George Lucas's wife at the time they ended up rewriting that screenplay multiple times so it yeah. really 
So the more George Lucas, I think, infused into this show, the worse it got. Yeah, I I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> and then if you think about it, like you were the the unknown and the mysteries, because we didn't know anything about the Star Wars stuff when we first watched it. There was there was no expectations. There was yeah. no there was nothing there. We were just we were kind of discovering it. Right, who's this guy in this on. in this in this? In armor with his yeah. breathing problem, the lightsaber. You're like, I don't right. know who he is, but man, it just is amazing. Yeah, who is this guy? He looks so cool and everything. But then by the time the, the the sequels came out or the prequels came out, they were basically already trying to answer the questions we or they were already they were trying to answer the questions we already knew the answer to. Yeah. And and I and I get that for prequels because sometimes it's fun to see how things got to where they got to. Unfortunately, like you said, it's too Lucas fight. <laughs> and you know, the, the dialogue actually hurts to listen to most of the time. Physically hurt me to listen to. So episode two I loved, but the way I would, would the way I would love to watch it is anytime anybody opens their, their mouth on a DVD, I would hit the skip to the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you watch it that way. It is fun. All it's the fun action though, scenes, the war scenes, the, the right. battles. But miss somebody opens their mouth. Boop. Just take it all the talking out. <laughs> it's a great movie. There you go. Yeah. But, you know, going back to the, the – the, I think that's where they also failed in the last three is with like with Ray. Um, mm-hmm. She was an unknown person. But then they they felt the need at the very last movie at that moment to tie her into – an established uh, character, Pelagius, or not Pelagius, but uh, Emperor Palatine. Oh, the, the, I, I never even saw the last movie yet. The, was it the last? No, that was this. I don't know. The last, but I saw the first two, so they tied her. I, I was wondering if there was going to happen because it seemed like it was a series of movies that wanted to tie everything up in a nice little bow. Yeah. And that's and where I, I think just, they I'm not into that. I, well, yeah, I, I agree. Right. And at the, yeah. So they, they couldn't leave things a mystery. They couldn't just leave. Right. Like, she's just a person. She just is a person that just right. one day she's got the force. Right. Yeah. I mean, why can't it just be that? You know, <laughs> why can't it just be her parents? Nobody knows who her parents are. Yeah. And, you know, you, and, know, you could do another trilogy about who they are later on. And now I, th- now I think it's really kind of a, uh, I do think it is really kind of uh, not very interesting, but like Tom Bombadil in The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. it just shows up, right? And and I don't think he showed up in The Lord of the, oh, you mean in the book? Yeah. Or in the films? The yeah, book. the book, he's, well, don't they, doesn't he, uh, he was in The Hobbit, wasn't he? Not no. The Lord of the Rings. No, I thought he was, was he? Yeah, I think uh, Bilbo found found him, and what was no, his uh, wife's name? Moo, I forgot. No, I think it was a Lord of the Rings. I think it was Lord of the Rings. Okay, because he he, he he basically I think grabbed the ring, put it on himself, and then like no, not that big a deal. Okay, for some reason I thought that was a Hobbit. I could I, be wrong. Know, I'm not. A, I'm not a token file, so I. I <laughs> I, Rob would know. He would tell you like what page he showed up. Well, on. if he's listening, yeah. I'm sure he's screaming at uh, the podcast. Probably, he's probably that's probably, not, guys, you guys are probably all three people that are ever going to listen to this podcast, <laughs> except for my mother, will all be yelling. Right. But the, yeah. the point is, is he just kind of shows up and does a thing and then leaves. You know, like I mean, that's another thing. I suppose you could you could add to the mystery of mm-hmm. something just shows up. It affects the story, affects the plot, affects the characters. And then, then 
maybe goes off screen and you don't know why or what or how. Oh yeah. And and I love doing that to the players. Cause they just, they, they're just like, what the hell? There was this one part in their most recent campaign where this giant tentacle creature just appeared on the roadway, just boom. I mean, it was like big as a house and everything. And it, one of its tentacles was chopped up. It looks like it was pretty bloody. And they learned, what the heck? You know, where did this come from? I never told them anything, but what it was is in the previous campaign, one of my players hacked off a tentacle of this giant beast and he poured a gaseous form potion down its gullet into its bloodstream. I thought, that's cool. So I made it turn into gaseous form. Well, I just had it extend on a little bit until uh, I decided it would appear right there. While they will never know that, you know, um, it was a fun little play on something that happened that the players will never, you know, because right. there's no reason why they would know that. Um, but uh, Right. It, it, it does exist for a reason, but they just don't understand. They just don't understand it. And, and it's one of those things, too, where I'm a... I'm going to go back to um, JMS, the guy who wrote uh, uh, Babylon 5. People would ask him, "How well, how fast can you travel in uh, hyperspace? And he goes, at the speed of plot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the way I, you know, you know, even though the right. potion's supposed to get resolved within this many turns, that's not fun. <laughs> I wanted it to linger on because I had this, and the funny thing is, is the player's, had passed this weird little cloud like two or three times and nothing happened. They just like, they avoided it. They're just like, what the hell is that? I said, did you see this gaseous thing floating in the air? And it was like, you're not really sure. It doesn't have a form. I said, it's just really big. So they would ride around and ride around. And on the third time it finally appeared. And they were just like, what? <laughs> what yeah. Going and, on with that? and I think that's a good point. I mean, as far as a GM, I mean, that's, that's the, the part where I think it, as you get more experience, you realize, you know, you're not beholden to the uh, the words is written. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if you have players who are, um, that trust you, and then also they are more interested in, in things being fun than things being laid out. Right. Just as yeah. it is in the books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's more fun for me too, you know, just doing that stuff. Because I hope a lot of times what I think is fun is also fun for them. Right. You know, but because uh, the nice thing in, in, about being a GM is you never really have to to really work against the players. I mean, you shouldn't do it to begin with because the players just get themselves into so much crap on their own. You don't. You don't have to do much to to in that aspect. You just present situations, and just <laughs> and see how deep of a hole they dig, and and just have fun with it, and uh, and uh, have it have their hole dug because of decisions they made. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. You're just handing out rope. That's all you're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, how far do you want it? There you go. I got all the rope you want. <laughs> That's why I like some like Joe, Joe comes from a power gamer kind of background and um, like his family and everything. So it was a, it was a change for him when he was playing in my game. Cause it was, cause there was very few things I would, I, I don't, I don't usually say no, unless it just doesn't fit the setting or just out of the ordinary or, you know, something weird. Can I, you know, can I have a car instead of horse? No, you can't have a car. <laughs> 
But like, if he asked me for certain things, you know, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's work with that. We can do that. And he was so surprised how, how much allowance or things. And I'm like, well, if it's a good idea, I'll work with it. I said, I've always got more monsters than you do have hit points. Right. So I'm willing to, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's not that really big a deal. And, and I always try to have the players, you know, while, while like a old school essentials or any of the old school kind of um, systems don't really, they're more like cookie cutter classes, you know, pretty much every fighter is like every other fighter, like every other, you know, clerics are pretty much the same across the board magic. I try to add something in there that'll be a little bit more interesting and unique to their character. So they're not just, you know, a fighter with a sword and a shield. They're not just a magic user with a sleep spell or they're not a mat or a cleric with just, well, an OSE, no spells. Oh, really? <laughs> first yeah. First level, no spells. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you have to, um, and, and Axe may be that way too. I can't remember. Well, yeah, because Axe is based off of uh, BX. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If I remember, I don't know it that well. I have the book, but I don't. I've never played it. I actually bought it for the uh, economic systems that they use, which are probably the best economic systems I've ever read or seen for gameable material. Yeah. I, Not that I've read a lot, I should say. I think it's, it's probably the only one. So, but I'm kind of, so I did some kind of, I've got an axe game that I started, okay. but, I'm not, but I'm not running it. Oh, but somebody right. else is. So I, on Discord, I, I had this idea. It's it's, it's kind of nuts. But but anyway, it's been going. I kind of got overwhelmed with the Discord. Another person's running it, but and they're going with the full economic. Uh, oh, they're doing the full fledged one, huh? Yeah, we, we, we and so yeah. It, it but the thing is, for me, it's I I. Okay, it's you know the Alex Marcus uh, is that his name? He, I mean, everything he does is balanced. So. It's it, it's there is nothing in the machinery that he puts together that is faulty. Gotcha. Okay, but <laughs> I don't all these percentages and this and that and this and that and so much per households and how much acres. Oh it, right, yeah, you know, there's yeah. a point where it's like. Can I just a roll a couple bit. six siders, a couple eight siders, right. and we'll count this? And that's what I really am looking for anymore. Is yeah, and, the, and for his thing, I read it, I've read it, and then I, I kind of, I, I never, I'm not going to ever use it the way it is because, like you said, it's just, it's way too detailed for it to use in my game, and you know, I never want my game to come down. Like, hopefully, it's never interesting because you roll and how much money you get for this or that or yeah. something like that. Hopefully it's beyond that, but I, at least I can ingest it and maybe use the philosophy of it or some part of it and then make it simple for me and my game <laughs> yeah. and fit, fit it for me. And it's really it is, good. It's and, complex. The, and the guy that's running the game. So we were kind of code. I was running it. He co GM'd it. And then I just, he's just pretty much running it now. Now I'm playing. I'm sorry, oh, no, you're playing. <laughs> it's in a play by post, so it's, everything moves real oh, slow. Gotcha. The guy's like, I can't believe how long we're playing, how little experience that we've got. <laughs> when you get into those details like that, yeah, it's so we've been, they've actually everybody's done a lot of stuff, but uh, anywho, um, yeah, so this kid's like a, a kid, he's probably 30, he's a medical student, uh, gone in the military, family, and he's this pair time. I don't know how he does it. 
he's 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 actually running the numbers and doing the math on this stuff. Right. Uh-oh. Got the energy to do that. Yeah, Why not like, go for it? Yeah. My brain just doesn't doesn't handle. I'm not. I just don't have that capability anymore. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't have it. I'd rather, you know, write up weird adventures or you know, like you know, plot lines or something like that for players to hang themselves with or something. Like yeah, that. that's where I think yeah. the to me a more simplified mechanic, even if it's not as as real, is. Even if it goes a little bit more right. abstracty, is a little bit more helpful. But anyway, um, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. I guess going back from clerics not having spells, but that's mm-hmm. you know, but that's. I mean, that's the way it should be. Maybe you got to prove yourself. Yeah, I mean, what am I going to give you a spell? What, what have you done, Mister? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Like, don't, don't be asking for for nothing yet. Like, oh, you haven't. You know, you haven't done done anything. You, you come. Come talk to me after you've done something for me. <laughs> yeah. And don't think I didn't notice you didn't tie the full 10% last time yeah. you were in the temple. Yeah. It's uh, like, you know, it's that's the other thing. It's like, why are they giving all their money? Yeah. Yeah. Or why, or why are they not a part of religion that says, you know what, I'm, I'm an aesthetic. There's no, I don't, I don't take money. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, those are things that you, yeah. I, I, I As a part of a GM, that's something you kind of have to, bring to the players because the players are definitely not going to bring that to you sometimes. So uh, James Hathaway, who does, uh, uh, I think monster man. Yeah, podcast. I, I think so. Yeah. He yeah. did. He did the one that the pantheons uh, zine. Did you get his? I, is that the pantheons pa- pamphlet? Yeah. 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 I did get that one. Yep. So I don't know what he's going to do with that. And it was like, it was still incredibly cheap. I think I actually threw an extra couple dollars. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like yeah, I, I three think pounds. My, yeah, it was something like that because I know I, I that by that time I had pretty much uh, exhausted my <laughs> zine money, and I, I but I did go in for the PDF for that one. I'm just looking at it now just to see uh, see what it is. Uh, whoops. Uh, Oh man, it's all the way down on my list. I had to push, you know, see more pledges. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't really pay attention to how many I've, I, I'm still not to the level of you guys, but I was shocked that like, like, oh, I didn't do that many. I clicked the button. Like, I didn't really do that many. Like, yeah. The button. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. I, my, I, I did so many more this year than the the previous year so yeah we and we definitely need to uh talk about um what we did starters and i think the reason i'm thinking it's important is one is most of these also are available i think you know for um if people are still interested they can pick it as a pdf somewhere yeah i think so yeah so it looks like his pamphlet of pantheons is a workbook zine that helps you create your pantheon for your fantasy RPGs. So the thing is, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, clerics not having spells. Then we talked about, well, what, you know, about aesthetic or you have to mm-hmm. give all your money, whatever. I just started thinking, it's like, you could just, you know, here's a list of things to be a cleric. You know, which one are you going to pick? It's going to cost mm-hmm. you. And the player can pick it. And you could even probably, even if you wanted to work out with the pantheons with the, with the character. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, we're going to do this workbook for your pantheon or for yeah, your particular absolutely. deity that you are devoted to. And I think those end up being the best ones because then you're kind of developing it 
sort of organically that way through play. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I and and then you're being surprised and probably exploring options you never thought you would do on your own when you're doing it that way. So yeah, I think for me that's the best way to best way to kind of develop things. Yeah, it looks like yeah, it'll be an interesting um Kickstarter. I, I am looking forward to that because that was that was one of those little toolboxes that I, I got into that I um I really wanted to. Kind of so I'm looking forward. This is self-serving, but as you know, some of the stuff is I'm just looking forward to me to be using to do other things. So it's I'm, you know, it's like yeah. oh okay. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know who knows? You know we we'll be using other people's zines to make zines, and maybe they'll be using our <laughs> zines to make zines right. or other products. You know, it's like there's a potential here for things just to keep like building around each other and and create a a rich ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, now that we're on disease a little bit, but just having to, uh, cause I know back in the day when I first started doing things, like I, I, I live in an area where there's really, nobody knew what the hell a zine was. Nobody, you know, they thought, you know, maybe I hit in the head and wasn't pronouncing words right or something like that. Um, but trying to create those things and then if you if you it's like when i put out the manor i i i just thought you know again we're just kind of in my own little box i didn't know how much response i was going to get but then it was kind of interesting because then people started making zines and they were thanking me for for inspiring them to do their own zine and they use stuff you know kind of and they would ask me questions and it was kind of cool just having that you know, accessibility that zines, I think, allows people, you know, because it's just such a small accessible product. And most of the guys that we've seen on the zine group are all accessible, you know, oh, yeah. from the high to the low and everything. And it's it's a very encouraging um, group. And I, I, I'm kind of half curious to see how many people put out their first zines um, this year and and how many of them did it because they they got help from folks in our in our group and everything? Because I know there was a lot of that going on there for a while. Um, so it's it's been very uh, cool to see. Because like I love when I always get those questions answered and I ask them, "Are you zine maker?" And no, not yet, but I'm hoping to yeah, learn yeah. something from the group, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's definitely pretty well. Well, I think we're hitting the the time space continuum. Sounds good. I think we're we might, we're not careful. We go past the patience of uh, even the most uh, eager of listeners. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wake up. Time to get up again. <laughs> Podcast is over. Yeah. <laughs> You've nodded off again. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Tim. We'll, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to do how we're going to do this, if it's going to be weekly or bi weekly, but uh, we'll definitely. Uh, We'll like a good gene, we'll just make it up as we we'll go. We'll make it up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's, I think we have, uh, uh, there's no problem with us, uh, I think, creating content. So No. Okay. Thanks for having me on again, Jeff. No problem. Take care, Tim.